coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. And contrary to most people's beliefs, it's not heavy strength training that causes more fatigue, but rather light loads because it simply takes more time to get to the stimulus that you need because you need too many reps to get there. So if we were to, if I were at least, to suggest what is the sweet spot, I would actually lower it down. You said 12, I would say four up to eight is probably the, the sweetest spot simply because heavier loads will get to the stimulus right away and you start with no levels of fatigue within it. While instead, if you take uh, higher rep ranges, it will simply need so many reps to get to the stimulus that you need. And those reps will accumulate more fatigue that you will need to recover from in the following days. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed strength training coach Elgin Loki. We discussed ideal protein intake, losing stubborn body fat, body fat set point theory, along with blood flow restriction training, how many reps create the most hypertrophy, training to task failure to build muscle, and his favorite supplement to get the most muscle gains. This interview was packed with a ton of information regarding strength training and much, much more. I really enjoyed interviewing him for the second time around. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the interview. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin. And for the second time around, I have Elgin Loki. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brian. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Elgin's a coach. And I was drawn to him. Like I mentioned last time, we recorded uh, once before in August of 2021. And you definitely got to check out his Instagram. I'll put a, a link in the show notes. Uh, he has great diagrams and great content that he puts out. Pretty much. Do you do it every day? Yeah, pretty much every day. Is it? Ta- I- I'm just curious. Does it take you a lot of time to do those posts? It's, I would say it's literally a job. Yeah. <laughs> a full-time job, I would say. Because you're doing the illustrations, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything that you see on my page is made from scratch, from the creative uh, part, from the thinking about the illustrations that would explain what I'm thinking about to coloring them and then uh, the caption and everything around. So, yeah, that's amazing. And, and, and just the content too, right? The science Mm -hmm. and the research, obviously um, every post takes a lot of time, mainly because you kind of want to uh, talk about something that is interesting that people find interesting. Mm -hmm. And at the same time has to be, on par with uh, the current research. So obviously you want to do your research first, have to read a couple of papers, uh, then try to formulate pretty much like a cohesive post that is not boring, but at the same time it's concise and like goes to the point. So you have to know what you're talking about. I would say uh, well enough and yeah. That's, that's pretty much how I've been rolling that's, since that's 2017, 2017. And have you, th- I thought about turning this into like a book would be pretty cool. <laughs> yes. It's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. I figured. Yeah. 
because he got all that content. It's like and, and the great illustrations. And I love it. He summar you, you summarize it at the end. So if someone just wants to go right to the point, which I've done, exactly. a few, I've done a few times. So, yeah. Um, well, thanks for coming on for a second time. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I wanted to discuss. I mean, you have a lot of different posts around you know, lifting weights and hypertrophy and, and I know you had a recent one about protein. So I figured we start there. Sure. What I, and, and the post was be, your best way to calculate your protein requirements. What, what mm. do you recommend for individuals? Cause you know, protein is one of these things that continues to, to come up and with a lot of my guests, it's all about prioritizing protein with each meal. And mm -hmm. so what do you recommend for individuals when it comes to protein requirements? So in this specific case, um, I talked about protein spe specifically for bodybuilders. So for individuals that will require a higher protein intake, if you will, because the, the purpose uh, of their protein intake is really to maintain or build muscle mass. So mm. they will require more for their specific goal. In this case, there are many ways that we can uh, calculate protein requirements. The classic rule of thumb is 0.8 up to one gram per pound of body weight. Um, and that works fairly well for the majority of people. However, if we are working with individuals that have a higher body fat percentage, then it would make more sense, at least to be more precise, to calculate it off of lean body mass. Mm. So you have your total body weight, you subtract the fat mass from the total body weight, and now you have the lean body mass. Once you have the lean body mass, then you calculate that your protein requirements by multiplying that times two grams, and it can go even up to three grams per kilo of body weight of lean body mass, depending on uh, whether or not you're dieting. So the leaner you get, the more protein you will require in order to sustain your current uh, lean body mass, simply because protein uh, becomes more readily available for energy once you're in a caloric deficit and losing body weight. So if you want to preserve as much of it, then it makes sense to increase your protein intake for this reason, but also because it's the most satiating macronutrient of them all. So it has also the benefit of making you feel fuller when you eat more of it. So yeah, it makes sense simply to eat more protein when you're dieting for uh, various benefits. Yeah, I love that. So just summarize, because a lot with my clients, I'll have them do a DEXA scan. So it'll, perfect. It, yeah, so it'll, it'll tell them their lean body mass. And so let's just say it's a 180 pound male and he has 140 pounds of mm -hmm. lean body mass. Uh, you're saying take that and he's, you know, he's working out, he's active take that 140, um, times two, is that, is, that would be on the higher uh, end maybe, right? No, or no? because, okay. uh, the um, calculation times two slash three grams is in kilograms. So you would like to convert that into kilograms. So 140 ish pounds would equal to roughly 70 kilos Okay. around that. So you multiply 70 kilos times 2.3 up to 3.1 grams. So that would roughly equal to 150 slash what 200 grams per day, obviously on the higher end. So okay. anything in between will work perfectly fine. And do you recommend with protein, can you only absorb a certain amount per sitting? I've heard like, you know, 
for muscle protein synthesis, obviously to mm. build muscle, you know, to you, the, the ideally, actually, if you're really trying to build muscle four times per day, I've heard is like a sort of like a max meaning like four protein meals per day for someone that's really trying to put on, on muscle. Um, is this something that you find as well? Right. So it makes sense to kind of, um, have multiple meals that mm -hmm. are rich in protein. So in this case, sure, it can work very well to have plenty of protein four times a day, but even five or six, it depends like how many, how much protein you have to eat really. And even if you don't spread it like evenly in the total amounts of meals, even if you eat more, like within a meal, it's not a problem. You will okay. simply take more time to digest it. It's not that it goes to waste. So Sure. Research supports the idea of um, spreading it within 30 to 40 grams ish per meal multiple times a day. But if you eat more than that within a meal and spread it into less meals. So for example, do let's say intermittent fasting or whatever that right. you don't have too many meals a day, like then me. you can eat yeah. simply more and it's totally fine. Even that way. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Cause like for me, I probably average about two meals a day. Right. Uh, so it's like, um, yeah, I got to just eat higher protein intake during those two meals and it still gets spread out. And also on that point, like there used to be this, uh, I would call it a misnomer now that you have to like chug a protein shake right after you work out. But really the, the, the anabolic window is I've heard up to two days after a workout. Right. And even then, like as long as you're eating protein, like within the right amounts without necessarily timing it, like whether it's pre-workout, post-workout, mm -hmm. as long as you're being consistent with your protein intake and making progress uh, at the gym, that's really what matters. Focusing on minutiae, like details on uh, anabolic window or, you know, stuff like this is generally won't make much of a difference to 99.9% .9 of the population. What matters is that really you stick to your intake progress. And that's really what's going to make the magic happen. Yeah, right. Exactly. You don't have to get too caught up in the details. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then on that point, uh, one of your other posts I wanted to touch on was uh, losing stubborn body fat. <laughs> oh, wow. I uh, know that's a big one. Uh, mm -hmm. and you gave some, you gave some thoughts I, I wrote down like four different sort of ideas around that. One mm -hmm. was calorie deficit. Uh, of course. The, the other one was low carb. Uh, and next one was fasted cardio. Mm -hmm. And then the last one was being patient, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it really comes down to just being patient because Generally speaking, those stubborn fat areas are really the last ones that you lose. So if you are still quote unquote fat in those areas, it just means that you haven't been dieting enough. Now, if we look at the physiology though of the fat cells, we also can understand why um, those cells are more stubborn. And that comes down to the um, ratio of receptors that these fat cells have. When they have a higher um, ratio of alpha two receptors, then they will be less readily available, available for releasing fatty acids into the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason why these fat cells uh, will stay stubborn. Mm -hmm. 
while others on areas where you lose it very easily, it's simply because they have a higher ratio of uh, beta-2 uh, receptors, which are more likely to release fatty acids in the bloodstream. So that's why there's this difference uh, and this kind of trivia, if you will, of so there's, uh, areas. I'm hmm? sorry. So there's, just to summarize, so there's everyone, you know, just not all fat cells are equal, right? Exactly. Yes. And so if you have the more stubborn ones, what are those called? Is they're the, simply uh the, fat the, cells, but yeah. they're receptors to where hormones bind, like uh adrenaline and noradrenaline are you wanna see like hormones as keys where that open up the locks. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the receptor is the lock. When they bind to alpha two receptors, there will be no fatty acid release. So when a fat cell has more alpha-2 receptors, then it will release way less fatty acids than one containing a greater number of beta-2 receptors. So that's one reason why these are more stubborn. There are now many to, others. Now to unlock those fatty acids into your blood is one of the keys getting insulin down? Exactly. Okay. These cells are also insulin sensitive. As soon as insulin is present, then they will stop releasing fatty acids. So that's one reason why fasted cardio or um, low carb diets can work in this regard, simply mm -hmm. because they work to naturally uh, lower uh, insulin levels and potentially work as a natural way uh, to antagonize uh, alpha 2 receptors. But of course, uh, this doesn't mean that simply being in a caloric deficit long-term will not work. Of course it will. But experimenting with these strategies can be like an option for sure. And I would speculate that they may work better, but I'm not sure too sure because there's no specific study like looking into that specifically. Yeah, and I think there's confusion sometimes because you have sort of two camps with that, right? Like. Um, for example, I had Dr. Jason Fung on, right. Who's mm -hmm. all about, uh, lowering insulin to get into yeah. these fat stores. And then you'll have other people who say, well, it is, there is some, there is some truth with, with calories in calories out. And they maybe somewhat ignore the hormonal benefits of, you know, being in a fasted mm -hmm. state and being low carb. Would you say that it's probably a combination of both? I don't want to say that it's necessarily a combination of both, because if I say that it's not about calories in, in calories out, um, I would say it's, it's wrong per se, because we cannot uh, escape the laws of thermodynamics. So that's, that works as a base. Mm. So regardless of uh, whether or not we're in a low carb or a high carb diet, if we're in a calorie deficit, we have to, uh, take energy from somewhere, right? It, energy cannot be uh, destroyed or created, but it can, it can be transformed. So that energy loss that we're creating with a diet has to come from somewhere. And if our protein intake is high enough to prevent um, muscle loss, then it has to come from fat source. So even then, even in that case, uh, stubborn uh, fat cells will still be forced to release fatty acids, whether or not, um, low carb diets and fasted cardio work better, or at least better to a high degree, to a significant degree. 
I'm not sure. Okay. It can be an option, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the high carb diet will not work because otherwise uh, it would neglect the laws of thermodynamics, which of course apply to us too. Right. But you would agree that not all calories are equal. Sure. But the point is when we say not all calories are equal, it's mainly a way to describe the fact that if we create a calorie deficit of let's say 3,500 calories, we should be losing half a pound or a pound of uh, fat loss like every week, right? Otherwise, if that doesn't happen, then is the quote unquote 3,500 calorie rule right? Well, in, re in reality, it actually is because our body weight is not regulated by only fat mass or muscle mass. There are many things that play a role and that can even be stress levels that can increase or decrease water retention. It can be the amount of carbs that we eat, which can be stored in the muscle. And of course, with carbohydrates, we get even water. So up to three grams per gram of um, carbohydrate that we eat, but even sodium. And for women, even menstrual cycle can play a role because hormonal uh, differences that happen every week change the way sodium is handled by the body. So there are many ways and reasons why our body weight would fluctuate. But if we keep a consistent calorie deficit of, uh, let's say, for example, 3,500 calories, then we would lose body weight in a, by looking at the trend. Maybe it's not going down like precisely, but on the long term, it will. And also one other reason why people like to quote unquote hate on the calorie rules is because uh, if we eat like a piece of something and it says uh, X amount of calories, how do we know that it, perf it has perfectly that amount of described calories? Well, we, we have no idea, right? Uh, we don't have a bomb calorimeter at home to test that. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it doesn't even matter. At the end of the day, what really matters is to estimate uh, a calorie deficit, which again is an estimation because that deficit is calculated based on taking in consideration our metabolism, which right. by itself is made of many different variables. There's the BMR, there's the RMR, there's the um, thermic effect of food, there's our daily activity, which uh, can be seen in the form of sports that we play and even the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And all of these together make up our TDEE or total daily energy expenditure. If we were able to quantify it perfectly every single day and also be able to perfectly quantify the amount of calories that we eat, then it would probably work like clockwork in terms of fat loss, not weight loss. But of course, that is not a possibility. So there's obviously going to be a small percentage of error in the way we calculate things, but being consistent and being at least 90%, 95% correct in your calculations will definitely get you there. And of course, this becomes more, uh, it becomes easier by practicing it more over time, like year over year. Um, maybe one year you die to X amount of body fat percentage, then next year you try uh, after a period of bulk and you get to a leaner body weight and so on and so forth. You just get better at doing it. What about if someone's always eating in a calorie restricted state? 
Yes. Can that, can that affect our metabolism, um, our, our metabolic rate, um, mm -hmm. and sort of do, cause like, for example, um, Oh God, the gentleman who did, and I'm, the name just escaped me, but you know, the biggest loser experiment where, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they worked out like crazy, they under ate and they lost weight in the short term, but in the long term, they ended up putting on more weight and damaged their metabolism. Mm -hmm. So what are you, what's your thoughts around that? That is a great question. And I want to be clear, it's not damaging your metabolism. The metabolism doesn't get damaged, but it simply adapts. So the resting metabolic rate, and there's a recent paper on it, um, is reduced after weight loss because when you lose fat, there are many things that um, happen. So number one, fat cells are the first, are actually the primary uh, producers, so to speak, of leptin, which is the hormone that regulates our metabolism. When leptin levels are high, our energy expenditure is high, and even our hunger levels are lower. When we lose fat, and so as a response, we decrease leptin levels, our hunger increases, but also our energy expenditure decreases. Mm -hmm. So we further decrease our metabolic rate just as a response to fat loss, and it's inevitable. Like this is something that you quote unquote do not recover from until you get fatter again. And it's been established like some people like to like to call it quote unquote set point or body fat set point. And there are studies that look at it and suggest that it uh, develops when you're very young, like an, at the infant stage. Mm. And because they've noticed that even like at uh, younger kids, when uh, they diet and lose body fat from a certain point, they show uh, a reduction in metabolic rate that seems to continue long-term. And the same thing happened in the biggest loser study. Uh, and it's very normal for people to experience that too. When you lose a lot of weight or when you lose body fat in general, you tend to move less, you tend to eat more, or you're more drawn to thinking about food. And it's just something that happens likely for survival reasons because otherwise we would lose body fat at a very fast rate and potentially die when there's no body, body fat to lose. So there's probably one way of our body to simply prevent that. So it decreases uh, your ability to lose body fat at your desire rate by increasing your uh, hunger and decreasing your energy expenditure. But even this can quote, can be bypassed by simply either increasing energy expenditure or decreasing food intake. Okay. And to summarize, uh, that was good though. That was good. So body fat set point is probably set, you know, genetically somewhat when you're, when you're younger, like you mentioned. Exactly. It's, it's a combination of genetics, but also environment, right? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, genetics in the, ter in the fact that it has to do with the hormonal reasons, but also environmentals. Because if you live in a culture where it's, you generally tend to eat a lot or like in a family where you eat a lot, or maybe you have friends that eat a lot or eat out a lot, then you're more likely to uh, regain the lost weight simply because you think about it more. So it's a combination of 
uh, set point um, that comes from genetics and also uh, environmental culture. And yeah. Okay. So for someone to get their body fat set point down, mm. there's, there's a little bit of like, cause it's not a perfect science, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a self-experimentation there where you can try different things. Like you mentioned with fasting or low carb or calorie deficit, sort of find what, what works for you. Well, in reality, uh, the set point, or at least until now has been shown to never decrease. So I'm not sure whether or not it can be decreased. Obviously, with a lot of willpower, you can maintain your current level of body fat levels if you're, you've been down uh, from a certain point and you can maintain levels of leanness even long-term if you really force yourself and like stay consistent with it. But it requires a lot of, uh, as I said, willpower. And that's one reason why most people kind of end up regaining the lost weight and even gain more. Um, so yeah, uh, hmm. to this day, I would say that there's really no way to kind of bring the set point down if it exists. And yeah, it just sucks, but that's how it is, <laughs> it seems. <laughs> is it, it, uh, yeah, sort of doom and gloom here. But is, 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 that, is, that, is that why um just people so okay yeah i mean i guess we could talk till we're blue in the face there's a i think there's a lot of theories around that mm-hmm. depending on who you talk to um sure. i wanted to touch on blood flow restriction training sort of a different okay. different animal than we've been talking about because i've heard about it a bit but i've never done it um recently and i posted it on i think i posted it on instagram but i would did um electro stim uh mm. workout where they put you in this suit and you're not lifting weights. It's you're sort of just doing movements. I did a 12 minute workout and actually I I wasn't sure where I'd be sore. You know, you got them on your abs, you got them on your shoulders, your biceps, your, your back everywhere, Mm -hmm. your glutes. And the one place I actually was sore for like a while was my glutes. Um, everything else was okay. And, um, but anyways, that's besides the point. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Um, I haven't. I've played okay. around with blood flow restriction though, because I have a friend that really likes it and is a big promoter of it, especially the science behind it. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with him, like in creating posts for him and even like helping create illustrations for his course. Mm. So I've definitely played around with blood flow restriction and the research uh, supports the, the idea for various reasons, mm. whether it's rehab or even simply hypertrophy, it works. So I'm definitely yeah. for it. Okay. That's cool. And, and, and just so people know, you have these cuffs around your, around your, um, your limbs, right? Exactly. They're placed like very proximally. So closer to the midline, uh, obviously you have to calculate the right pressure and you simply work to failure. So you take sets to task failure. So the point where you can no longer perform any repetition, but the beauty of it is the fact that it wor- it simulates heavy weight training, but with very light mm. weight training. So that's beautiful. If you think about rehab, for example, after you, ha- you have an injury and you are obviously not able to lift heavy loads, but at right. the same time, you don't want to lose muscle mass in that limb. So in this case, it works perfectly as a bridge therapy to get you back 
to heavy weightlifting simply because by using very light loads, but with blood flow restriction, you're able to fatigue the muscles much quicker and stimulate the fibers to stay or potentially even grow bigger uh, yeah, with I, the I, use of the cuffs. I, I love that because a lot of my clients are 50 plus year old males and mm -hmm. some of them, for example, like they might have issues with their hands, um, mm -hmm. even with their shoulders and they can't really lift a lot they, you got to go sort of super light, but we know that if it's like almost too light to a sense, it's tough to build muscle with that. Exactly. But if you do blood flow restriction, you could do that same weight, right. And, mm -hmm. and, and fatigue a lot quicker and create some hypertrophy, correct? Exactly. Because if we were to use very light loads without the cuffs, then we would need to perform so many repetitions to get to a stimulus that it really will not be optimal simply because fatigue would increase so high during the set that we would not be able to create a, a strong stimulus for the fibers that grow, which are mainly the type two fibers. So the higher threshold motor units that govern, that govern these. But as I said, if we take too many repetitions to get there, then our ability to stimulate these fibers decreases simply because of fatigue. Mm right? Instead, if we use the cuffs and decrease the amount of reps that we need to get here, even though we're using very light loads, simply because of the fact that it takes less reps to get there, then fatigue will not be so high to the point where we are not able to recruit these. So by definition, we're able to, do, to recruit these fibers. And as a result, they will grow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I've seen like Peter Atia talk about it a little bit. Um, and I might look into buying some, Is, do, do you incorporate mm -hmm. it? Do you use it from time to time or? Yes. Sometimes mainly to play around with them. Like if I'm doing, I don't know, some very high rep work generally for, I like to use it for the arms. So it can be like for the shoulders or the triceps or biceps or potentially even leg work. For example, I've had an injury at the uh, patellar uh, tendon. I've mm -hmm. broken it two times. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I really struggled to build like my quad. So that was one reason for me to test it out and it worked great. So yeah, I definitely enjoy playing around with them. I think uh, they're very useful and especially they play a role in um, mainly as a bridge therapy, as I said. So yeah, for rehab right. to getting back to heavy lifting, because obviously if you have the possibility to train with heavier loads, then it's simply more efficient for you to train with those. However, could you do, if could, it's not, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. could you do heavier loads with the blood flow restriction? If you're, let's say you're a healthy individual and you probably won't be able to get as many reps, but I'm curious. You, you can, uh, obviously you want to modulate the amount of pressure that will go in the cuffs where the heavier loads, the lower the pressure and right. vice versa. So okay. there's like the load pressure continuum that changes depending on what load you're using and pressure you're using. But if you're able to use heavy loads, then there's no point in a way to use them because just go for the heavy loads in that case. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that for like, you know, like you said, bridging the gap, if you have an injury or, you know, if you're older and you just don't, you know, putting on those heavy loads might be too much exactly. strain for your joints, then blood flow. Okay. I'm going to look exactly. Yeah. That's cool. Um, let's touch on, uh, I know you talk a lot about sort of, let's try to build out a week for someone that's, hmm. you know, just like a baseline. And I, um, 
and you know, we talk about, you see a lot of this one set to failure. I think we were actually messaging back and forth because this is becoming yes. <laughs> a hot I topic. That. Yeah. Yeah. A hot topic. The one set to failure. Um, Doug McGuff, I believe talks a lot about this and I guess what would you say ideally like just let's just take for me for example I typically do splits of upper and lower body those are mm -hmm. my splits and I pretty much use resistant bands variable resistance I I use the x3 bar quite a bit occasionally I'll do some normal weights um and would you say um four times a week like let's say upper lower rest upper lower is you know is sufficient um for most people if they're going to do a split like that i think upper lower uh rest upper lower can work very well especially because it matches like uh, evidence-based recommendations like for example you suggest like one set to true true failure it can work but at the same time it's not enough we have a very recent meta-analysis that looks into how many sets can we really accumulate in a week before we start accumulating too much fatigue to the point where more volume starts becoming detrimental. Well, that number is around 12 up to even 20 sets per week. And when I talk about these sets, I mean set hard sets. So when I say hard sets, it's really sets taken to task failure. And obviously we can play around with the fact that what if these people were not able to quantify uh, what failure actually meant? So was that really true failure? Well, there's no way for me to tell in that case, yeah. but still um, based on this research and it's a meta-analysis, but also um, through anecdotal evidence, I would say that it's a very good range that will work for most people. So if one set, set to failure works well for you, then I would argue that taking that to four, eight, 12, 16 would probably work even better simply because you would be able to accumulate more effective volume for your muscle growth. And you would simply be able to progress at that rate faster because we can break that down into two sessions. So we take, for example, an upper lower split. So that means we have two upper sessions and two lower sessions. If we break down six sets, they are very um, heavy or at least close to failure, to failure on the first day of upper, then we can repeat that or at least stimulate it in a very similar way on the second day because we have at least 48 uh, uh, hours of recovery between the two. So we have plenty of time to recover from the previous six sets and we can repeat that and accumulate 12 sets just like that. And we can take it even further by increasing that. Obviously what matters is progress. So I never sacrifice actually adding weight to the bar to simply doing one, one more set because mm, that's, that is what drives most of the adaptation. But of course, at the same time, you want to stay within um, optimal amounts of training volume because you don't want to underdo it, but neither you want to overdo it. You want to stay in the middle. And generally speaking, if you end up wanting to do too much, then chances are you can get better results by simply improving the quality of the sets that you're doing. And at the same time, if you want to do very little, I'm pretty sure you can get even more results by simply increasing that a little bit. 
and staying within the middle of these recommendations. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, so if someone did four days a week uh, mm -hmm. of strength training, upper, lower, upper, lower with a re with yeah. rest in between, gives them 48, 48 hours of rest um, and 12 to 20 hard sets per muscle group. So let's just take um, like uh, front squats. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's just do, cause I do front squats uh, with, with the X3 bar. Cause I, 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 I like the fact that there's less risk for injury than a normal front squat too. Cause you're just mm -hmm. dealing with the band and you don't have to try to balance because front squats are tricky, but I love, but they're great. Right. Like major core yeah. just, just sort of incorporates a lot of different muscles. So, um, if, so doing two working sets, let's say I like to just do warm set. I know, I don't know what your thoughts on warm up sets are. I'm sure there's, there's not much behind it. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. A lot of people say you could just jump right in, but you know, I'm not 20 years old anymore. I, I always suggest like to work your way up to your training loads. So right. if you're doing front squats, you maybe start with the bar or like with one plate on each side mm -hmm. and then work your way up to your training sets. Obviously so, I do not count those within the quote unquote uh, volume work. for the week. Right. But obviously it's needed, especially if it makes you feel better and you feel more ready for, for the sets. So if I'm doing two, one warm up, two working sets of just say front squats twice yeah. a week, that's really only four sets. Correct. <laughs> um, okay. So you're saying an individual, if you're doing two workouts, then, then you would, you need to be doing six sets at least. But obviously it doesn't necessarily mean that six working, six, six working sets each time. Right. Right. But that doesn't mean you should do that only in the front squats. You can alternate like other exercises. For example, you want to do um, a leg extension or uh, I don't know, a leg press or another variation of the squats. If you don't want to just do a front uh, squat. So it really comes down to how you okay. want to break that down. Because I do do, I do do like single leg work. So mm -hmm. th that would be incorporated. Okay. Gotcha. So then mm -hmm. I, 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 cause I've been doing and, and, and I don't know your thoughts. I know you, you have some posts about like, you know, you'll see people put the, um, the chains on the, on the, mm -hmm. on the weights. And that sort of gives you a little bit of like a, almost like a variable resistance feel, right? Exactly. Exactly. It changes the, the strength curve of an exercise and makes it more challenging on points where without them would feel easier. So it's one way, another way to basically progress. And you can do the same like with bands. Right. Right. And that's why I like sort of, I like that variable resistance because it, it's got, it's on that strength curve. As you get stronger, it gets more difficult. Exactly. Correct. Okay. But again, I wanted to ask you, uh, mm -hmm. do you, for example, you said uh, the front squats, is that the only exercise that you do? for the legs? No. Right. So I'll do, I'll do two working sets of front squats, two mm -hmm. working sets of deadlifts and two working sets of single leg, uh, single leg, what single leg squats, single leg. Okay. Yeah. So that's already four because you want to count that into depending obviously on the muscles that you target. And of course deadlift variations will work more muscle, uh, different muscles than the squats that you're doing, but assuming you're doing a very similar knee flexion exercise, you want to count that for the quads. 
and right. also the glutes and potentially even the adductors. So you want to spread those sets and that volume for all the exercises that target similar muscle areas. And then you try to accumulate as much or at least stay within the 12 to 20 hard sets per week by counting it like that. Okay, so, so some exercises uh, target multiple muscle areas, then you want to count that for those muscles too. It's not like one small group, depending okay. on the exercise that you do. So with me doing the front squats twice, we're two working sets, two working sets of the single leg. That's, that's four. That's mm -hmm. two, so that's twice a week. So that'd be eight. So I'm four sets away from what you're saying would be ideal. Right. And Hypothetically. keep in mind that yeah. even eight is good. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I've been, I have been building muscle, which so, but you're, but there could, there could be some room for maybe a little bit more potentially. Definitely. Definitely. Sure. I will say what I found, what I found, I started doing it during the quarantine. Um, and I've changed my splits and I've messed around a little bit, you know, not all, you know, for the last two and a half years, I've kept the same exact thing, but it's been very similar. Um, I used to just do, I used to just do legs once a week and even mm -hmm. just doing it twice a week. I think I found that I, I, I know I've put, you know, my legs have gotten that much bigger. Um, and also I've increased protein. Those two things have made a big difference. <laughs> Heavy lifting and protein is where the magic happens. It's really, really that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, it, I know we talk about reps. So, so now we, we talked about sets, right? 12 to 20. Mm -hmm. When you talk about reps, um, right. you know, is, is it probably depends what you're looking for, right? Um, hypertrophy, would you say the sweet spots around 12? So in reality, we touched on it even earlier. We know that hypertrophy can be achieved across a variety of loading zones, but also rep zones, because if we can achieve similar hypertrophy by using blood flow restriction, which is very high rep because we use very light loads and it works similarly to heavy loads in terms of results, then we can see that if we really try, we can uh, achieve muscle growth across pretty much all loading zones. However, when it comes to creating hypertrophy, or at least a plan that is that makes sense and that is efficient and effective, you want to take fatigue into consideration. And that means trying to minimize fatigue and maximize the amount of the stimulus that you create within the muscle fibers that will grow as a response to strength training. Mm. And contrary to most people's beliefs, it's not heavy strength training that causes more fatigue, but rather light loads, because it simply takes more time to get to the stimulus that you need, because you need too many reps to get there. So if we were to, if I were at least, to suggest what is the sweet spot I would actually lower it down. You said 12, I would say four up to eight is probably the, the sweetest spot simply because heavier loads will get to the stimulus right away and you start with no levels of fatigue within it. While instead, if you take uh, higher rep ranges, it will simply need so many reps to get to the stimulus that you need. And those reps will accumulate more fatigue that you will need to recover from in the following days. So, so four to, so you would say, I mean, four to eight reps. Right. And sometimes, even though people kind of attribute it to more strength ish set or uh, rep ranges, 
I will lower it even to three because I like to program like threes, which have the goal to become fours and then fives. So you kind of try to add one more rep every time. So, and obviously, as we know, hypertrophy happens across all rep ranges and loading zones. So it doesn't necessarily mean that lower rep ranges does not cause hypertrophy because it does. So yeah, three, four, up to eight is probably the sweetest spot, in my opinion. Okay. And um... and by the way, the sets, uh, just to add like one more caveat, sets are intended at sets to failure. So the four rep range or eight rep range, it means that the eighth rep is the last one of the set. It's not like a set where you do eight reps and you don't feel any sort of effort in the set you right. that means that you cap it at eight right. meaning that you could have not gotten any more with that load and then what about just to add more to the <laughs> what about the um how i guess how fast you're moving the weight i know you touched on mm. this uh, on a post versus exactly. you know you hear a lot about this you know because a lot of the proponents of the for, with the one set to failure is they're really focusing on the, on the, the time under tension and how mm -hmm. you know, they're counting to five to eight seconds on the concentric and on the eccentric back down. They're really focusing on that as well. What, what do you, what do you recommend on that? Or is that just something that you mix up? Right. So personally, I think that a self-selected tempo is really your best bet as long as you control the eccentric part of the movement. So the part in which muscles lengthen under load mm -hmm. and but the concentric can be explosive and the reason why i don't really focus much on tempo is because we know that if we count volume as sets to failure regardless of we get to, uh, of whether or not we get to failure by increasing tut so time under tension or not we get to the very similar results, if not the same. But how can we get to the same results if there are different types of volume? Because if we increase time under tension, the amount of volume that we accumulate is slower, simply because we get to failure faster, right? If within a set of bench press, for example, you try to lower the weight and push up the weight as slow as possible, it will be very quick for you to get to failure. Yeah. So you don't accumulate too many reps, right? right? On the other hand, if you try to move, let's say you control the eccentric, but you go very fast on the concentric, you will likely do um, more, more, more reps right. in, the, in the set. Yet they get you to the same results. So it's not really about the time under tension, but rather getting to failure that matters. So as long as you select a tempo that works for you and you try to stay within the, right rep range that accumulates the lowest amount of fatigue. So you want to train with heavy loads and you get very close to failure. That is what matters the most when it comes to hypertrophy. And the reason why is because when we get close to failure or even to failure, fibers experience the most amount of tension. So if we zoom in in the muscle fibers and look at what actually contracts, so the myosin ends, heads that pull into the acting filaments when we approach failure uh, within a set our rep speed becomes 
very slow. It becomes very hard to push the weight, regardless of whether or not our effort is maximum. Like if we, we cannot try to lift it slow, it moves slow, even if you try to push it fast. So there's a combination of full motor union recruitment because you're trying to push it as fast as possible. Your effort is maximal. And at the same time, a slow wrap speed that forces every myosin head to attach to actin and create the most amount of tension possible, which will trigger the whole cascade of events that will lead to hypertrophy. So to summarize, self-selected tempo works. Uh, try to work uh, within a lower-ish, low to medium rep range and work in proximity to failure because that's what matters the most. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cause I do notice sometimes, um, when you really focus on slowing down the eccentric part of the lift, I mean, yeah, it's just very difficult. <laughs> it is. And there are like ways to even overload the eccentric part because doing eccentric contractions were much stronger mm-hmm. than, uh, on concentric ones. And therefore, in most cases, if we do, if we perform, for example, normal strength training, so we use the same amount of load for both the eccentric and concentric contraction, like you see most people do, we're actually not doing everything that we could mm. to load the eccentric part of the contraction because we're stronger up to 25% during that portion of the lift. So there are even ways to overload the eccentric portion of the lift simply to get the most out of it. So like eccentric overloading. And the reason why we're stronger is because during eccentric contractions, even the passive components of the muscle fibers contribute to, to uh, generate force by simply uh, resisting the formation under load. So like there's Titan that causes that. And because of that, we could load the bar even heavier uh, simply to stimulate the fibers more during this part of the lift. Okay. And, and, and just to summarize that you're, so that would be like what a lot of people call like negative lifts, right? Where right. They, they put on a load that they, they can't really push concentrically, but they have a spotter that helps them. Let's just say for bench press, get, get it to the top and then go really slow on the way down, maybe count to what, like 10 seconds, give or take until, and then they help you get it off your chest. You do it again. Exactly. I guess I could sort of do that. Would you say I could do that as, as maybe something I do, I don't know, once a month where, right. It's not something that you want to overdo it because eccentric contractions cause more muscle damage than concentric ones. And when there's muscle damage, then you have to recover. And because it causes uh, fatigue in the central nervous system, which Mm -hmm. doesn't allow you to recruit high threshold motor units. So obviously it's something that you don't want to overdo, or if you want to focus on that, then you want to kind of change the whole structure of the program to make room for that. Mm. So once a month, for sure, can be done. It's something even fun, uh, something new that people can try. Uh, obviously, it requires a spotter or, or a way for you to kind of try and overload the uh, eccentric part. But yeah, can be done. Can you do it without a spot spotter? Because like, I, I don't have a spotter in my basement <laughs> unless I get my wife, but, uh, she's not going to spot me, but, uh, right. cause she'll just drop it on me. No. Um, <laughs> but like, let's just say if I use the X3 and I go a little bit he- more like heavier than I normally do, um, I can maybe, get, I can do it concentrically, but I can somewhat 
uh, you know, then slow it on the way back down. I don't know, I guess. Mm, if, well, I guess if you're saying if you can do it in the concentric motion, then you're it's not, not eccentric overloading. Okay. okay. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Because keep in mind that, um, on the eccentric, uh, 120% of your one RM on the eccentric would feel like an 80%. Mm-hmm. But instead, obviously, on the concentric, you wouldn't be able, be to, able even to lift it. Okay, got so, you. Yeah. Um, wow, this is good stuff. <laughs> actually, no, it's a hundred percent would feel like an eighty percent. Okay, one hundred and twenty-five. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the same thing. Right. So if you're gonna do eccentric, like negative, make sure you get a spotter. Um, right. Yeah, for sure. Um, wow, this was good. Is there anything, any new science, anything? that you've come across recently that you think would, would help people listen in, um, if they want to, you know, get results, build muscle, lose body fat. Um, I think we've pretty much covered it all. Like a lot of people like to glamorize like different training styles, but as long as you stick to the basics, work within manageable, uh, training volumes, train within a very low proximity to failure. So one to two reps in reserve, if that makes sense for the people. Wait, say that again. Well, I'm sorry, say that again. One to two reps in reserve. So reps right, in right. reserve are pretty much like the reps that you're uh, that you need to reach before you get to task failure. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, a fair proximity. Obviously, you can train to zero as well. So reach simply failure, but you want to make sure that you're still training within recoverable training volumes. So that means 12 up to 20, but I would cut it even lower, like 12 up to 15, 16 sets per week, hard sets. That's going to do wonders for most people. So do not try to make it like excessively difficult in terms of training styles. And, you know, obviously you can throw in something for fun, like it can be my reps, drop sets, whatever. As long as you're training within these uh, recommendations, you will progress, and, but and wh- prioritize, prioritize okay. getting stronger uh, on a week to week basis as, it, as much as possible. One more, one, one other thing that I just was thinking about rest between, um, hmm. you know, let's say you do right. a set, you know, you do um, a set of four reps to, of something. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you recommend as far as resting between? Obviously that depends on your how much time you have, like if you're on, in a rush, mm-hmm. chances are you will not be able to rest as much, but anywhere from two, three, five minutes between sets, as long mm-hmm. as you need, as much as you need for you to recover, to complete the following set. That is really what it comes down to. Uh, if you don't have time, obviously you want to make it shorter. So one and a half up to two minutes, but what really matters is that you're able to complete the set, the following set. So the two to five minutes is, is, is there, so you can come back and hit it and, and be just as almost strong as you did the last time per se. Yes. Ish. You can also work within a, a loading zone. So for example, if your first set was the heaviest and you was, let's say a set of five and it was your true 85, 87% ish. Mm-hmm. chances are you have accumulated some level of fatigue where you will not be able to hit it for five again in the following set. So you can decrease it a little bit. Decrease the load, weight just a little bit. Yeah. 
and do it for the desired amount of reps. So you want to work within a loading zone, not necessarily a specific weight, but it can be like, let's say your 75-ish to your 85-ish percent. And then you make, you try to make this 75, 77, 79 or 80. And you want to, you basically want to progress in all direction, right? If, it, if this is your loading zone, you try to get stronger here and then eventually you become stronger here and then here and then here and so on and so forth. So, um, so you're saying, let's say you do five reps of 200 pounds, let's just say right. that, and that was pretty much to failure. Um, mm -hmm. The next set, it's probably going to be difficult to do that same thing. Right. So you could either decrease the weight a little bit mm -hmm. and stay in that rep range of five or do maybe the same weight and maybe do three or four reps. Right. Okay. Correct. Right. So adjust, adjust the load or adjust, adjust the rep range. Exactly. And eventually, yeah. if you did the second set, within three to four reps, your goal should be to try and get to five. So that's one way of progressively overloading that set. And once you're able to perform five reps on the second set, then chances are you can work on your third set where you will do three to four reps again, and then bring that with, that up again and so that you're able to accumulate more reps and sets within that intensity. And do you normally start once you do a warm up set? Let's just say you do a warm up set. Your first set, do you normally try to have that one to be like the premier one per se, and then adjust after that? It depends. Like yeah. I like to either do that. It happens quite often, but sometimes uh, I work in pyramid up. So instead of doing a reverse pyramid where your first set is the heaviest, mm -hmm. you work the other way around. So you build it up, and maybe it's your third set that is the heaviest. Uh, generally, I don't like to go uh, much longer than that simply because you still accumulate some fatigue uh, as you perform training sets. Right. So if you try and do your sixth set, your heaviest, chances are you would not be as strong as you would have been on earlier sets. So you want to take that in consideration as well. So it can be your first set because you're the most fresh, but you also want to uh, kind of be warmed up enough for that, um, to be your first set. Okay. And then for me, maybe what I'll try to do just to mix it up instead of doing two working sets, do three, and then mm -hmm. I'll be at six working sets on like a Monday. And then my next workout, let's just say would be on a Thursday or whatever, there will be another six and that's 12 sets right there for the week. Mm -hmm. I think that would work great. Yes. I'll see how that, I just did a DEXA scan. So I know where I'm at. <laughs> So we'll Great. see, we'll, we'll see if, if I can continually, uh, increase, uh, increase muscle that way. Um, well, keep this me updated. Was, what's that? <laughs> keep me updated. I'll, yeah. I'll keep you updated. I, I, I uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love your post. We could keep talking. I was going to mention, um, one other thing and then we'll, we'll close it out, but, um, creatine monohydrate. I noticed you mm -hmm. posted on that. Um, and, uh, this is becoming, uh, probably one of the most researched supplements out there and it has uh, been for a while like yeah it. for a while right it, i think mm -hmm. there was a misnomer around it that it would like be you know bad for the liver um right but, right but fortunately research shows that for healthy individuals there's really nothing to worry about even when it comes to hair loss a lot of people like are scared 
to use it because they fear hair loss. And there's one, literally one study that looked into that and it may, so keep in mind, it may uh, make, um, expedit the process basically. Like if you're predisposed to that genetically, it may expedit the process but it does not cause hair loss and it does not cause any problems to the liver. Uh, if you're a healthy individual who simply trains and eats enough protein and calories to sustain his activity is one of the most, if not the most um, supplement research. And it's likely the one of the few ones that actually work. So I recommend using it. Um, it's not a drug. So people can right, be we, totally we- fine using it. You get it from, and, like you mentioned, fish and meat, and uh, you actually exactly. produce it. You produce it yourself as well. I think maybe a gram or something a day, I believe. Right, and it's produced by the liver, pancreas, and the kidneys. But also, it can be found in meats. Uh, it can be fish or just cuts of meat. However, uh, you would need it in higher quantities, so that's the reason why you want to supplement, uh, complement, um, creatine on top of what you eat simply because you want to reap its benefits. So if you're performing sports where that require high intensity or, or very uh, fast burst of energy expenditure, then you want to use creatine. And it's not necessarily just for lifting. It can be for sports like soccer, uh, I don't know, uh, box or anything that requires like very fast movements, changes of direction and so on and so forth. Three to five grams is really the dose that will cover 99% of the people. Uh, You take it every day. You don't want to stress about whether or not you want to take it pre or post-workout. Just make sure you eat it. And that's really it. Mix it with water, um, sip onto it, and that's it. (laughs) Is there a a brand that you like? So I personally like to look for the cheapest ones. And that's what I I usually recommend. So. Uh, the my protein uh, creatine is what I've been using since forever, and that's what I recommend. Okay. Um, all right. Well, this was uh, hopefully people got a lot of value from this, and uh, definitely check out um, Elgin his posts, uh, his Instagram handle, which I'll put a link in, is Physique, and mm-hmm. uh, you have an eight week body uh, power building program, right? Yes. So currently, I'm actually. I've written, but I'm going to be launching in the following weeks, a 12-week power building program, as well as an ebook on squats, bench, uh, and deadlift. Like I put up, I put together like the drawings covering those topics and like with a great format and it's beautiful to look at. And it also contains a lot of the science that I talk about. So I'm going to launch them very soon. So keep an eye for those and that's it. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And, um, I mean, this was, uh, this was great knowledge, uh, not only for, you know, just general public, but you, you, you're helping me with my, my workout. So I'll, I'll report back and let you know, I'll make uh, some tweaks and see, and see if I can keep building. Um, but I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know it's in the, almost in the middle of the night where you're in, yes, uh, <laughs> yes where are you, you're, where are you located again? I'm in Italy, in Italy. Rome. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. But yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, I think there's a lot of value in what we talked about. And if people really carefully listen to it, they can really uh, make a lot of progress uh, in their training. 
So for sure, I enjoyed it. And again, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.